Thank you so much, Camilla, for leading us and for everybody who's taken part. Uh, it's wonderful to be part of God's family. There were three characters in last week's shocking and challenging chapter of Revelation. I'm sure you remember who they were, the woman, the red dragon, and the child. And the church were represented in that final battle. And I left church last Sunday thinking about the outcome. And they overcame him. They overcame that fearful war against them by a furious enemy. This dragon that exercised such strength and exhibited such authority and was resourced with incredible wealth. I'm not going to continue into chapter 13 this morning. David's not here to tell you the result of the opinion poll as to whether we're going to continue through Advent in Revelation. But I'm going to pause and ask what it means to overcome the world. Revelation 12, verses 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. We've had a glimpse of the end, and I suppose it's appropriate to say, how are we doing? How are we doing, not just in Revelation, but how are we doing as we move towards the end, living as we are, as the enraged enemy threatens us and chases us, have you felt troubled, maybe, by the brokenness with the world this week? I think of uh, how Elizabeth led us in prayer, thinking about the brokenness in our church family here. Think of the situation she's going back to this coming week in Morocco with the brokenness of a country and all that's involved. Are you feeling that brokenness? Are you accused with the lies that you battle with this week? The dragon was thrown down from heaven. The believers are enrolled in heaven. But the church overcomes by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they were not afraid even to lose their lives. Martin Luther's hymn speaks of a word which makes all the difference. I'm sure some of you know this famous hymn. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And what is that one little word? As Jesus is the word that we keep coming back to in Revelation as David keeps reminding us that one little word is Jesus. His work has accomplished such an achievement and the testimony of his people is changing the story. So as we look at the end, we can look at it with confidence. And it's acted out in the longest chapter of the Bible. You might be wondering why we didn't have our Bible reading this morning. 
It is rather long. It would take the rest of the service and more to read it. I'm sure you know what it is, but please turn to it if you already know that longest chapter of the Bible, which is Psalm 119. Thank you. Please keep it open. We aren't going to read through it all, but here's a question. What is it about Psalm 119 that equips us to resist the enemy? What is it about this long chapter? And what's on repeat here? I wonder if you can pause for a moment and just think of what you know about this amazing psalm. It is really long. It's the same length as the whole book of Ruth or Philippians or James. It's also something that is repeated regularly. I'm sure many of you know it's full of God's Word. Where almost all of the 176 verses use a reference one way or another to God's Word. But this psalm isn't primarily teaching us about getting Scripture into our lives. Instead, we hear somebody speaking to the God who speaks. It's not really a call to Bible study. It's about listening to the way that a man speaks out loud in God's presence. It's what happens when the person who has listened opens his heart to the one who has spoken. I would say this is more about testimony than just a topic. Listening to the way this person talks shows his passionate confessions his requests and affirmations are personal, not propositional. His experience comes out more than an exposition of Scripture. And while words describing Scripture crop up in every verse, the most common words are not the word, but individual pronouns. So, I, me, mine, you, your, use comes through in every one of those verses, almost. We're listening into a conversation. One where we can pick up somebody's testimony. So let's tune into the way this believer speaks and what he says. The first three verses are really referring to people in general, and there's not so much of the IU there. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with their heart. But from verse 4, for 172 verses, the IU words appear four times in every verse. Don't need to count them all. It's not easy to get the structure for this psalm if you've read through it. It's a bit like looking at the scenery when you're passing in a car in the highway and things just flash past and you think, have I seen that before? It's not an easy structure. There are 22 sections. If you're reading it in Hebrew, you'll find out so much more. Eight lines for each section working through the Hebrew alphabet. But David Paulison has mapped out four strands that we see how God's word and our testimony shape the outcome of our lives. I've simplified his four words 
for my own benefit, but I'd recommend reading an article by him on suffering and Psalm 119. The four things that I'm going to highlight are saying what we see about God, saying what's gone wrong, saying what we need, and saying who we will be. So, the psalmist shows us how we can say to God what we see about his character. He certainly describes God face to face, what you're like, who you are, what you say, what you do. How you get to know somebody is very much about their words, isn't it? It begins with conversation. It's packed with personal comments. Think about your first conversation, maybe with the person you're sitting beside. You paid attention to every word they said. Not just the words, but how they said it. You repeat it back, maybe, if you're unsure. Reflective conversation doesn't get a good press in our house, but it, it does work. It helps when you say, ah, is this what you're saying to me? It takes seriously what people say and it deepens the relationship. And we here in Windsor repeat what we know about God every Sunday. We echo creeds, we affirm faith, we say, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Spirit. That is the faith that we profess. We say those things, they're important. They describe truth about God. But more reflection is needed. You can say those things and not let it affect your heart, not really let it affect your relationship. What changes in the relationship is when the professions become confessions. So we say, you are my father. You are my savior. You are my life giver. You see, that's not only head knowledge, it affects our hearts. We're drawn into a relationship and that's what we see in this psalm. Faith experiences truth and talks back in simple sentences. This is who you are. Here's some ways in which you can take what you know in your head and speak back words of testimony. A few glimpses through the psalm. He says, the Lord has arranged the conditions of my existence. You established the earth and it endures. The earth is filled with your love. Your hands made me and formed me. I might have a lot of questions about that, but these are your hands that are at work. It's your doing. My ways are known to you. You know why I'm here in this place right now. And the Lord speaks wonders. What he says is amazing. Your law is true. Your statutes are wonderful. Your word stands firm in the heavens. And one that we all know and quote very often, your word is a lamp unto my feet. These are 
ways in which faith is repeated in personal relationship. Another speaks about how God is merciful to me. You're good. And what you do is good. Sometimes we wonder about that. How is this good? How is my situation good? Yet the psalmist is able to go on to say, in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. You are my refuge and my shield. It's not easy, but I need to learn how to say these words from my heart to my God who cares for me and who is good. You see, Psalm 119 isn't just information about the Word of God. It is speech therapy for those who struggle to say what we see. And that's what I want you to hear today. His Word includes all that He says. Word crops up so many times through it. There's at least eight summary words through this psalm, all expressing aspects of his word. It, it's used 22 times and adds depth to the conversation. And word means everything that God says. So how do we keep his word, as the psalmist says? How do I keep it in my heart? How do I keep God's word saying that he has arranged all the conditions of my existence? Like verse 90, you established the earth and it endures. All things serve you. How are you going to keep that? We do it by looking around us at an iceberg or the wren that flies in our back garden every day or the blue whale that's apparently appeared in the Indian Ocean again. And when we look at those things, we keep his word. When we don't just see organisms and habitats, we keep it by remembering that he has created those things. They are dependent on him. They are his servants. We praise their maker as we appreciate this world that we're in and respond not just to it, but to him. We keep his word by remembering God and changing the way that we look at everything and ourselves. Your hands made me. You formed me. I'm yours. Another of the eight words is law, which we tend to think about in terms of rules. But it's another form of word and the emphasis is on God's authority. His Authority to speak personally into our lives as our great Savior King who knows us and wants us to become like Him. And so His law directs us in His way. It says far more than the ten words of Exodus 20. Here's a familiar description of God's law in Numbers 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you. 
and give you peace. And we keep those words by needing them every day. Asking God to treat us this way, we receive the trust. We receive this word and we treat other people this way. The Psalms tell us what we need more than anything else to step into a conversation with the one who says what he does and does what he says. So how do we respond? How do we allow God's word to become the testimony of our lives? It begins by practicing plain speech to God, by saying, you are my God. I trust you. You say you made me. You ordered the steps that brought me here today, to this moment. You call me to trust the decisions I might make next to you. Treat me as your dependent servant. And do what you say you will do. A second strand that weaves through this every section is struggle. So saying what we see about God leads to saying what's gone wrong. What does this man find so troubling, so painful, so threatening? Despite first impressions that sometimes lead us to think God's word will protect us from pain, this testimony is full of cries like these. I'm led low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Take away the disgrace that I dread. I don't want to mess up. Your laws are good. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. And remarkably, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Here's a summary of what's wrong with his world. First, I face something terrible inside myself. My own sinfulness threatens that God's going to destroy me. And secondly, I face something terrible coming at me from the outside. The sins of others and all of life's troubles threaten to destroy me. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with what's happening to me. Can you see his story coming out? Can you talk openly to God about this double affliction? It's hard to find words to say when life's hard and you're hurting. There's no magic words here that will make everything better. It's not easy to know when we excuse our own part of the story and blame it all on the wrongs around us, or when we beat ourselves up for everything being a mess and I'm really the one who's done it. The psalmist tells us he's troubled by both. So what will I say when I feel laid in the dust? This is genuinely hard when words seem so inadequate, and words can be. We can use words 
to cover up a whole multitude of difficulties. But here's something to take away by the author of that article. Jesus is a most sympathetic friend, a fellow sufferer, a savior. He has walked a hard road. He has felt his own anguish and crushing pain. And whatever it is you're going through today, he understands. He's compassionate towards you. By the comfort of his presence and sympathy, he intends to draw you out and draw you to himself. So go and speak to him. Follow the model of Psalm 119 and say, I'm hurting. I need you to preserve my life. And he places people around us to help us do that. Another of the uh, outcomes from last week's church members meeting was the addition of 12 new people to a pastoral care team. We'll say more about how to access that in the new year. But we are looking at ways in which we can walk alongside one another in our side-by-side journey here. One more takeaway. Suffering doesn't have any shortcuts. Many of you know this, but be honest and walk slowly, one step at a time. And Psalm 119 tells us where to turn. It shows this man's awareness of God in his distress and expresses the salvation of honesty. A third strand that threads through this psalm is to say what you need. When we speak directly to God about who he is and what's gone wrong, about our struggle and the evil inside us, as well as everything that's coming out of us and around us, the result is an outpouring of requests. And throughout this psalm, there are 89 blunt requests, very specific kinds of help. Here are a few to take God's word and make it yours. There's support for the tempted. Are you in that category? How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Do not let me stray from your commands. There's strength for the weary. Have you just about made it here today? My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. There's wisdom for the ignorant. Teach me knowledge and good judgment. There's also courage. Courage for the hopeless. Did you arrive here wondering, have I any hope in the world? Do not let my hopes be dashed. That's a simple request that you might want to hold on to today and take out this week. There's well-being for the oppressed. Ensure your servant's well-being. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. Can you pick one of these blunt requests and bring it to the only one who knows you fully? And who loves you completely, the way you are, knowing all that's inside, as well as everything else that's around you. This psalm is a grown-up view 
of God who knows us and is expressed through the heart and the words of a child, somebody who says, I depend on you. They offer those three strands of support for our lives when we feel the intensity of this battle. First-hand experience of the Lord, the God who says, seek me out and shows me mercy because he's good, saying, I see the God who is far more important than talking to myself. Yes, I can talk to myself and work through all of those problems in the middle of the night, but it's far more important to talk to the one who made me, who sustains me, who cares for me, who directs my steps, who is the light of my path. Tell God what's wrong. What's wrong in your own heart? What's hurting? As the overwhelming waves crash around you and wonder, am I going to be swept away? And we ask God's attention to us as his servants. Be bold in asking for help. Don't give up on me, God. Don't give up on me now. Don't abandon me. Come after me. Hunt me down. Rescue me. Show mercy to me. And finally, this psalmist says who he will be. Within this living conversation of Psalm 119, he gets what he asks for. This man experiences grace working through himself, that he's been changed, that he is being changed, that he will be changed, and he tastes how good it is that his own faith is working through love. He feels and says things like this. I love what you say. More than I can say passionately above all things, I love your commandments more than rivers of gold, far better than any finance deal I'll ever get. Your words are sweeter than honey in my mouth. What a taste it is to consume your word and realize it fits my need, it sweetens my palate. The things that you've written down are my songs. That's what I'm going to keep singing, a new song every day of my life. And they're written from your word. I wonder, can you say this? I look forward to lying awake at night so that I can ponder your word. The curse of the sleepless night can be speech therapy for those who are learning to trust. I know what it's like to go around in circles at three in the morning. But I've been practicing this week, if that happens, to say, Lord, I trust you. You've wakened me up at this time of the night. I have no idea why. But I'm going to repeat your words, see what happens. <laughs> I see wonders in your law because I see you. So how is it with you? Where do you need Psalm 119 to become your word of testimony. Is there some kind of difficult loveliness, lovelessness that trips you up? Fears, sexual temptation, bitterness, despair, 
procrastination. Where do you need help? Not just with good intentions or quick fixes. I'm yours. Save me. Teach me. Is it the sharp-edged pain of some suffering? Have you been betrayed? Is there a gaping hole in a relationship? Is there pain in your body? Are you beginning to fail? I would have perished in my affliction. Or do you just need to express joy and delight simply by becoming more direct and personal to this God who has made you, who holds you, who loves you? You can express your faith in, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. How about changing it to, you are my Father. You established the earth. All things are your servants. Psalm 119 teaches you that way of talking. Your testimonies are the joy of my heart. We're almost done. Thanks for journeying through this amazing long psalm with me this morning. But can I encourage you to pick this up? Maybe even right away, right now where you are. The prayer room is going to be open. The worship team are going to come back to the front and lead us in a final song. But please feel free to go there, either on your own or be with somebody to pray with you during this last hymn. Spend time crying out to the God who made you, who loves you, who cares for you. But we're going to finish with a call to arise. O church, arise and put your armor on. A song that reminds us about wielding this sword that heals the wounded soul. So let's stand together as we sing.